Foothill Family Church. Happy Valentine's Day. Why don't you guys join us for worship? We get to sing about your love, God. Thank you for your love. And it never runs out, never runs dry, but it's constant.
constant and never failing, God. You are so good to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Never runs out on me, your 
it have to sing it one more time I like it yeah I will love 
Hallelujah. What a decoration song. Hallelujah. Yes, you are, Lord. You are our strength. You are our rock. You are our shield. Hallelujah. You reign in our lives. We worship you. We magnify you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. What a declaration song. God has given us a great gift. The gift of our will. And when we sing this song, I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. Hallelujah. What a declaration to say over our lives. Hallelujah. We do that when we feel like it. We do that when we don't feel like it because it's true. Because we choose it. Amen. Praise the Lord. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our shield. Amen. God is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. Praise the Lord. So since it's Valentine's Day, just give, just give yourself a little hug. That's from Pastor Mike and me. Y'all aren't doing The women can do it. Praise the Lord. Why don't you turn and look at the camera? And Oni is there on camera. He's going to pan at everybody. So wave to everybody who's watching at home today on YouTube and Facebook. We're glad that they're watching our church family there. Not just here, but actually we have people that watch from all over the United States and even other countries. Praise the Lord. So uh, before you're seated, be nice and wave at somebody. Don't be antisocial. Praise the Lord. And then after you've done that, you may be seated and the children are dismissed to their class. Praise the Lord. We appreciate our teachers for our children. Amen. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, you've never been here worshiping with us before, we want to welcome you and tell you we're glad to see you. If that's the case, if you could just raise your hand so we can see where you are. There. Oh, wonderful. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much. May you feel welcome in at home today. Amen. Speaking of our children's ministry, um, you know, since we have started church back up, it seems like we uh, had to add different things that we used to do all the time and start everything kind of back up again. So starting last week, we started, we have been not having uh, classes for our babies uh, from birth through age two. They've been just sitting in the, with their parents or that, that window over there, in case you don't know is our mother's room. So it's fixed up like a little garden in there. And the moms can see and hear the service. Well, when they when children start to kind of crawl around, that room gets pretty small. And so what we have been doing for the moms up till last week, we kind of just started that too, is we put a TV. Well, there was a TV in that room. And then we just live streamed the service because the children were all small and we had a lot of babies. All right, well, now all these babies, they're walking around and so we uh, have done over the years, and now we've started doing it again, we teach our babies. And so um, they sit in a little chair, and um, we sing songs to them, and, uh, you know, they just learn basic things, you know, 
what God made and you show them little wind-up animals and God loves you and you show them themselves in a mirror, which they're fascinated about, except some little boys like to take that mirror and pound it on the table. I won't say who. And um, so, uh, so we do just teach them just to love church and that church is a safe and loving place and Jesus loves them and, and all. So anyway, we started that last week and so um, we just wanted to let you know um, that's going on through our babies through two-year-olds. So it's just, I like details, so I give details. What can I say? Most women are like that. Um, oh, we have a great thing um, next Sunday. Um, we're going to have food court Sunday, and um, we haven't had that in a, a very, probably, it's been over a year, I think, and so, um, you know, the food court is open, and they have outdoor seating, and they have all kinds of different um, um, meal uh meals that you can get and then just sit together outside and um, so we're going to have that the weather's been really nice and so we're going to have that next Sunday it's just down Bake Parkway at Towns uh, Town Center there and um, uh, it'll be just right after the service and uh, so we welcome you to go there with us um, then also after the service today, outside on the back patio as you exit through the back doors, um, there's going to be a Valentine photo booth. And so um, grab a friend, grab your family, and um, have some fun with your camera. Uh, you can go back there and uh, have your photo, do your photo after the service. And then on um, February 28th, as a reminder, we're going to be having a baptism immediately after the service. So if um, you or someone you know wants to be baptized, we've had a few different people in the church requesting it over the last few months. So um, we're going to warm up that baptism and um, have a baptismal service pick up a CD at the Information Center um, so that you have some good teaching about why we do that. Praise the Lord. Then just the last thing, I wanted to mention a few things in our bookstore. We really don't talk about our bookstore very much. I don't know. But we have so many great things in there that you may not know about. And so um, this isn't to sell things. This is to let you know things that are going to help you grow spiritually and help you in your spiritual walk. So um, there is back there a healing scripture CD um, that um, Kenneth Hagin did. Um, oh, goodness. Now it's probably been 40 years ago, I guess. It's been a long time. And um, I, was a, I was 19 years old when I helped put the scriptures together for him to read on this CD. So you know it's a long time ago. Um, but anyway, he, he just reads, this, uh, reads the scriptures on, on the subject of healing. And if you ever have problems falling asleep at night... Just stick that in and you will be asleep within, within 30 seconds, I promise you. <laughs> and then this book, we mentioned it before, it's called Miracles and the Supernatural. It's a new book by a friend of ours, Tony Cook. Tony got his doctorate in um, uh, church history. And I think what he does in this book is he makes it interesting and concise. I don't you know, all those people that get the doctorate, my husband's kind of like that. He would read a book, a big old thick book of some sort, and I would just say, could you just tell me what that book is about? Because I don't want to read that book. It's too much for me. Well, Tony did that in his doctorate, and so he put just, 
he he just it's not just history but it shows how it how it applies to our lives today what we can learn about it and he does it in a very readable way so it's a great resource book and it's in a, in the bookstore miracles and the supernatural and then the last thing i want to mention is this book this this book has been around a long time as well and we have never in the history of our church mentioned this book. It's called The Midas Touch by Kenneth Hagin. And this is such a balanced approach to Bible prosperity. It's balanced. It's good. There's just, you know, I think Brother Hagin once said uh, the, the uh, you know, driving... Thank you, Brian. The key to good driving is to just staying out of the ditch on either side of the road and to go down the center of the road. And that's what this book does. It deals with a lot of um, what the Bible says about prosperity. It also talks about some of the excesses about prosperity. And um, I recommend it's very easy to read. Again, it's a great book. We were actually in um, the meetings that Brother Hagen um, that did this book. And so... Um, it's also a great one to have in your library. Praise the Lord. Also, we just want to remind you, and they're going to put up a slide about how you can give. I think everybody knows you can text to give. You can give by credit card. You can also give by, um, oh, when they take it straight out of your account. <laughs> when they take it straight out of your account. Thank you. I never do that. Direct deposit by debit card. Yeah, right. You can also do that. And, um, uh, or you can just uh, take an envelope and just give as you exit the sanctuary today. So, let's pray. Lord, we honor your presence today. we honor you and we worship you and we make room for you hallelujah thank you that you are here lord mightily to minister to the hearts of each person to give wisdom to give direction that the eyes of our heart are flooded with light that we grow in a deep and intimate and personal relationship with our Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, because of our love for you and our obedience to your word, we tithe and we give. We do it joyfully, and we know, Father, that as we do it, you bless us back in abundance so that we can live to give. Hallelujah. Father, we declare over our church family that they are protected they walk in divine health, free from danger, free from calamity, that they walk in the peace of God. We declare peace over the homes in our church. We thank you, Lord, that we walk in prosperity, that you meet every need, Father. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand together. While you're standing, let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. We thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our spirits that we may see and know who we are in Christ like never before. I thank you, Father, for thinking through my mind and speaking through my lips. I thank you for direction and for utterance that we might be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 3. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? He's just identified that the, the temple would be destroyed and not one stone left upon another. So they said, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Notice also it says in verse 11 <clears throat> that many false prophets shall arise and deceive many as well. <clears throat> the first thing Jesus mentioned as a sign of the end was deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I was reminded by the Holy Ghost that um, before we started the church in 1984 and 85, we, um, uh, Beth and I did some traveling around the country and we did some uh, overseas ministry as well. <clears throat> the first time that we went to Germany, uh, we ministered with some uh, friends of ours at a, um, a church there in Munich. And uh, it's still there, people are still going. And um, uh, there was something the, the, pastors, the pastor was from uh, uh, America. He grew up in New Jersey, but he married a, a German uh, lady and uh, outstanding minister herself. And so she wanted to, to, uh, to read us something from um, uh, a biographical account of some things that happened during World War II. And uh, so she pulled out this, this book from uh, the bookshelf and she started reading, turned to a certain place and started reading about uh, the rise of Hitler. And um, it said the guy that was the author of the book uh, was an eyewitness to, to these things that he was uh, writing about and committing to, to Page. And um, so she read that when Hitler first started uh, speaking, it was before he was the leader of the country, it was his rise or his ascension to power over there. And so this, this, uh, this book identified the fact that when he first started speaking, he didn't even make sense. It was something that um, uh, people were looking at each other, saying, who is this guy? And what in the world is he doing trying to uh, talk when he can't even make sense? And then it said this. It said that there, there was something that came down over him. And at that point, it changed everything about what he was saying. It changed the, the, the power of his words. He, he went just in a matter of seconds to holding the, the crowd in the palm of his hand, so to speak. And, you know, we don't think about the devil anointing people. 
we talk about the anointing of God, but we really don't think too much about the devil's ability to anoint people. But this is what this, uh, this guy was uh, identifying or relating, that there was a power, a presence that came down over him, and all of a sudden the crowd was his. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The word Christ there is talking about an anointing. The word Christ means an anointed one. And so we can expect, if Jesus told us the truth, we can expect that there'll be people that will be anointed of the devil, empowered by the devil, to bring great deception upon the people of the earth. Turn with me to, uh, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writing to the church said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there be a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now notice in the first two verses of the chapter, it talks about two events. It talks about being gathered unto the Lord, his coming for the purpose of gathering us. And then in verse two, he talks about the day of Christ. Those have to be two separate events. Because he's telling us, he goes on to speak about the, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the people of God. And after that, then the Antichrist, the wicked one, is revealed. My point is simply this, folks. When Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you, he goes on to talk about things that happened during the tribulation period. And so the deception that he's talking about guarding against has got to be something that takes place or is in operation before the church is raptured as well as the deception that comes about after the rapture of the church from, from the working of the Antichrist. So if we're not going to be deceived, we're going to have to recognize that there are two separate events that are being talked about. One is the rapture of the church and the other is Jesus coming back at the end of the tribulation period and establishing the millennial reign upon the earth, the thousand-year rule with a rod of iron here on the earth. So let me go back and start this again with that in mind. Verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God he's coming. And by our gathering together unto him. It tells us what he's coming for. He's coming for the church, to receive the church unto himself. He says, take, the, that, uh, take heed that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there coming a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. 
The word withholdeth means to restrain. He says there's something that's restraining the Antichrist from being uh, coming into his own, coming into power. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth, this word letteth is the same word withholdeth in verse 6. Only he who restrains will let or will continue his restraint until he be taken out of the way. This phrase taken out of the way means removed from the middle. So what Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost is that the Antichrist is ready to take his place on the scene. The devil is certainly ready and, and willing to put his anointed one in position to rule the earth. But there's something that's restraining it. There's something that's withholding it. Now some people have, have taught that the withholder is the Holy Ghost. But rather, folks, it's the church. It's not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost still stays on the earth to work God's plan and purpose and will during the tribulation period after the church is gone. If the Holy Ghost was the one that has to be taken out of the way, then it'd be impossible for anybody to get saved during the tribulation. But we know through the ministry of the 144,000 evangelists, as well as other things that the book of Revelation describes to us, we know that there are uh, people that, uh, and multitudes of people that are born again during that period of time after the church leaves. So the withholder can't be the Holy Ghost. Well, who is it that's taken out of the middle? The church. The church is the one that's removed. And then Satan is allowed to do his work. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, talking about the Antichrist again, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Folks, notice that they're lying wonders. In other words, it's fake miracles. It's fake doctrine. False doctrine. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them, in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of God that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now when does a strong delusion take place? Is the strong delusion just during the tribulation or is the strong delusion begin before the church leaves the earth and is gathered unto him? With some of the things that we see going on around us and with the increase of the wickedness that we see taking place even in our own, our own country, our own nation, it seems that people are lining up for the strong delusion as it is. Finally, verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Folks, my purpose in speaking on this this morning is to identify and warn the church of the deceitfulness of Satan to recognize and understand the times that we live in so that we be not deceived but instead hold fast to the truth. 
Now, how does this line up with what we see revealed to us in the book of Revelation? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. First three chapters of the book of Revelation is Jesus giving John instruction to send to the seven churches of Asia. Those seven churches, the cities of those seven churches are in what we know of as Turkey, the country of Turkey today. And after, immediately after these letters, these seven letters are given, it tells us in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, this is John speaking first person. He said, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. The first thing John experiences relative to the end time events that he writes is a rapture. He hears a voice that sounds like a trumpet which says, come up hither. Well, come up where? John is on the Isle of Patmos, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he told us in the preceding chapters, in, verse, in chapter one uh, specifically, that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and Jesus appeared to him. You remember Jesus appeared to him in that form, uh, in a different form than anything he'd ever seen before. It talks about his eyes were flames of fire and his, his hair was white as a sign of purity. And it was at that point that Jesus began to t talk to him about the letters or the instruction to the seven churches of Asia. But now the, the things change, the scene changes because John is told by a voice, come up hither, and then all of a sudden he's in a different place. He's in the spirit, but he's, in a, he's caught up into heaven. Well, that's what the rapture is, isn't it? The rapture is Jesus coming back. We meet him in the air, receive our redeemed bodies, and then go back with him into the presence of God in heaven. It's the first thing that John experiences regarding end time events. Well, what does he see? Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Clearly he's in heaven then. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders, and the seats that they're sitting on are representatives of the church. Twelve for the Old Testament, twelve for the New Testament. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Here's the Holy Spirit in all of his manifestation. There in the church, or there in heaven with the church, and before the throne there was like a sea, of, uh, a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. What's the crystal sea? 
the crystal sea is also referred to in, in uh, Revelation chapter 15. The crystal sea is the church. Crystal is the only substance in, known to mankind that cannot hide a flaw. In fact, the way that crystals are made or their structure, any flaw is magnified and exposed. So this crystal sea with fire is the church indwelt by the power of God, the Holy Spirit himself. One of the things that interests me about this is that John would have been one of the four and twenty elders sitting on the throne. He had to have seen himself. Skip with me over to chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard as it were a noise of thunder and of the four beasts saying, Come and see. The opening of the seals is the beginning of the tribulation period of time. And I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth to conquering and to conquer. Now some people have taught that this is Jesus. But hasn't Jesus already conquered? And notice he has a bow but he doesn't have any arrows. That can't be Jesus. Well, who is this then? It's the Antichrist. And just in the same fashion that Paul gave us information in the whole, uh, by the Holy Ghost, the utterance of the Holy Ghost, the things that take place, the order of things that take place is that the church has to be removed or taken out of the way and then the Antichrist can be revealed. And that's exactly what the order of things in Revelation. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. These are two witnesses about the end. Verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. The first thing that John sees relative to the events of the tribulation is the revealing of the Antichrist. The second thing he sees is the great war that takes place on the earth. Now turn back with me to Ezekiel chapter 39 or 38. We'll start in chapter 38. Because Ezekiel sees this war, this beginning of the tribulation period war, just like John saw and just like Paul referred to us or spoke to us by the Holy Ghost. Ezekiel 38 verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief priest of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen of all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Tagarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Gog is identified in ancient writings 
as the leader of Russia. Magog is identified in ancient writings as Russia itself. And notice it talks about a, a coalition army, a great army that's arrayed against Israel that comes down from the north through the mountainous region of Syria to wage war against Israel. Now, folks, remember, Revelation just showed us that the church is already in heaven before this war takes place. The church is in heaven, caught up and gathered unto Jesus in the presence of God's throne in heaven itself before the, the seals are opened that would set this war in motion. Now, we don't know but that it's possible the Bible really doesn't tell us one way or the other. But it's possible that some period of time takes place between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. I always assumed growing up in church when they talked about the rapture, it's always in connection with the tribulation period. And so I just assumed that if the rapture took place on Saturday, then on Sunday the tribulation would begin. But there's really nothing in the scripture that dictates that that has to be that way. There might be a, a period of time. It would certainly have to be a short period of time, and I'll explain that to you as we go. But there could be a period of time between those two events, between the rapture of the church and the gathering together of this coalition army. And the, the places that it identifies are the armies, the, king, the lands, the nations that make up these armies or this great army that comes down into attack Israel. Most of those countries are what we know of as Islamic nations. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days shalt thou be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have, all, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm, and thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and thy people with thee. This is a huge army that wages war against Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come in, into thy mind and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Did you notice in verse 11 it talks about the land of unwalled villages? In other words, it means that Israel is going to be at rest and peace with its neighbors. One of the things that, have, uh, that has gone unnoticed by a lot of people are these peace deals and peace treaties that President Trump negotiated with some of these Middle Eastern countries that were typically and historically enemies of Israel. But the things that he did things that President Trump did regarding these peace treaties and these peace deals or arrangements, whatever we call them, were lining things up for the, for the last day events. 
it goes on to say, Sheba and Dedan, here, there are some of the, uh, the other nations of the world. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants, merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions, therefore, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods to make a great spoil? In other words, it's saying that the only resistance that this Russian coalition army is going to experience is diplomacy. Nobody's going to choose to fight against them. Now that would include America as well, folks. So America is either unwilling to defend Israel or they're unable to. That might have something to do with some of the military decisions and the, the military actions, really actions taken against the military by our own government with this new administration. Something has to be different than what we've known it to be over the last several years. I think it's safe to say that there's never been a, a, a more a stauncher supporter of Israel than the president that we had in the previous administration. Like or don't like whatever uh, President Trump did, but Israel's never had a greater friend. Israel certainly saw the benefit of the Trump administration. Now, folks, I'm not talking about these things to put to prop up one administration and, and denigrate another. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't care who's in charge as far as politics are concerned. The only thing I care about is what God has given us instruction for concerning the last days. Politics is not America's answer. It never has been and it never will be. God's word is the truth. God's word is the thing for us to hold fast to. We can see a lot of things that take place, that are taking place, that line things up for the last days, but even some of those things we can't say. Because we do, we are, uh, we'll be accused of either being racist or anti-democratic or some other accusation that's being made. But it's important for us, and that's okay. We don't have to talk about it. But it, it's, it's certainly important for us to recognize it. We've got to have our eyes open to the things that are happening around us and have a knowledge of the word to see how these things fit together. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from, the, from thy place out of the north parts, thou and thy peop, many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses in a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land and it shall be in the latter days and I shall bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee O Gog before their eyes thus saith the Lord God art he of whom I have spoken in the old time by my servants the prophets of Israel which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against thee against them and it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, 
that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great quaking or shaking in the land of Israel so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. One of the things that happens and due to the hand of God is a great earthquake. And that great earthquake apparently will kill many of these uh, armies, many of the people that make up this army of Gog and Magog. The only mountains that Israel has are in the northern part. The only mountainous range that Israel has geographically is with the border of Syria. And so it's very possible and probably likely in my thinking that this earthquake begins to destroy or destroys a, a number of this coalition army that's coming down to, to attack Israel. And I will call for the sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother. Apparently this earthquake creates a situation where confusion takes place and this army begins to slaughter each other. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So God fights against this army with hail mixed with fire along with the earthquake. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am God. Let's go on to chapter 39. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thine left hand and I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee, and I will give unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of the people of Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord and the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Now, folks, if a seven-year period is associated with this, then this has to begin on the day, the first day of the tribulation because the tribulation is exactly seven years long. So if these weapons are going to burn for seven years, this is the beginning of the tribulation period. So if they take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, 
and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and they shall and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hammon Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they cleanse the land. Yea, and all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury the passengers, with the passengers, those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of the seven months shall they search, and the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it till the buriers have buried it in the, in the valley of Hamongog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamona. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, and of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And then shall you eat fat till you be full, and drink blood till you be drunken, of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all the men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory above the, among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. A couple of things that we skipped over. One thing is it talks about the destruction of the army. It very clearly identifies the destruction of the army and the, the death and the, the, the burying of the people and all of that kind of stuff. But notice something else that maybe I ought to point it out to you rather than just refer to it. It was in verse uh, 2. It said, And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. The sixth part can't be talking about the, the, um, the armies because the army is completely destroyed. That's why it takes such a, a, a long period of time, the seven months, to bury the, the dead and that kind of stuff. Those are the armies. When it says, I will leave but the sixth part of thee, it's talking about the hail, fire, and brimstone. The hail with fire and brimstone, excuse me. In the countries that are part of this coalition. In other words, it's not just talking about the destruction of the armies that fight against Israel. It's talking about the destruction of the nations that have joined themselves against them. As we made mention before, this coalition army is predominantly Muslim nations. But here where it says that he'll destroy but the sixth part of thee, leave but the sixth part of thee. The sixth, the sixth part is 17%. So not only are these armies destroyed, but through the, the fire and brimstone, the hail with fire and brimstone that falls on the islands of the sea. You've got the Indonesian uh, uh, islands. You've got the Philippine islands. 
a lot of those nations that make up these isles of the sea are Muslim nations as well. So in one 24-hour period, God basically wipes out Islam from the earth. One of the things that's taking place in Israel now is that birds are coming in. Birds and species of birds that have not been known in Israel before are gathering in the territorial boundaries of Israel. And the, uh, the bird scientists, whatever they're called, are shocked. There's no explanation. They can't give any explanation why these species of birds that have never been in Israel before now are all of a sudden gathering in the borders of Israel. Could it be that these birds are getting in place for the war against Gog and Magog? There are some other things that are taking place as well. There's an Old Testament prophecy about foxes on the Temple Mount. And in the last couple of years, for the first time, certainly in our lifetime, they've discovered foxes that are making homes in and around the Temple Mount. There's a lot of little in, in what seem to be insignificant detail type things that are taking place that we never hear about. But things are lining up. Could it be that in the destruction of this Russian coalition army, which basically wipes out Islam on, uh, everywhere on the face of the earth, could it be that this is the precursor for after the terrible destruction that takes place in that 124-hour period, could this be the... the I'm going to talk to you like you're mature Christians for a minute. If this is over your head, just nod and act like you know what's going on and nobody will know the difference. We all know that the Bible says, and Jesus even said, that no man knows the day and the hour of his coming, talking about the rapture of the church. Jesus did not say we wouldn't know the season. He did not even say we wouldn't know the year. He just said we wouldn't know the day and the hour. I find it inconceivable that a God who created the earth with such detail, such minute detail, to enable this earth to, to support human life. I find it in just inconceivable that God has not already got a plan for when Jesus is coming back. The idea that, that it's, it's the great unknown in all of eternal history and that God is just going to say one day on the spur of the moment, okay, Jesus, go get him. God's not haphazard in anything. 
he's certainly not going to be haphazard when it comes to the rapture of the church. The ancient wisdom that was imparted from God to Moses and passed down to Israel identifies the pattern for Jesus' return as well as all the other spiritual events that are prophesied. Peter refers to it as well when he says the day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Moses passed down to the ancient rabbis what he received from the Lord and a part of that identifies this seven-week period which stands for 7,000 years as God's plan for the earth. The ancient rabbis recognized that the week that God instituted was his plan for the end. The most significant event in all of world history was the crucifixion of Jesus. And it happened at the 4,000 year mark. Now if God is precise and if he is as detailed as the, the creation of the earth, Jesus was crucified. The year that Jesus was crucified and we can identify just by adding 2,000 years coming forward in God's timeline, we can identify when he would return. But we don't know exactly when Jesus was crucified. There are certain things that the Bible tells us that narrows things down. For example, we know from history that Pilate ruled over Judea and Israel from the years A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. Well, then that gives us a window of when Jesus was presented to him and he was delivered unto the, to the Jews or the will of the Jews took place to crucify Jesus. We also know he said in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign, John's ministry began. Well, we know Jesus' ministry was just about six months behind him from the timeline that John sets for him, baptizing under the baptism of repentance in about 26, maybe 27 A.D. From there, we start whittling things down a little bit further we know from the crucifixion and resurrection spent three years in his ministry, three, three, three and a half years in his earthly ministry. The Passover is identified. John, if we can find out when the last Passover was, then it becomes a simple matter of math. One of the things that we have to identify and helps us narrow it down some too 
is that we've got to have a Passover that occurred on a Wednesday because on Wednesday night, Jesus was betrayed. On Thursday, he ties on the cross and then he's raised, resurrected on Sunday. So that narrows criteria, one in A.D. 30 and one in A.D. 33. If it's A.D. 33, then Jesus spent too, much, too long in his earthly ministry. He would have had to have spent almost six years, five and a half to six years in his ministry on the earth. So that doesn't fit. So the only one that really fits, if we've got all the correct criteria to judge from, the only one that fits is that Jesus would have been crucified in about A.D. 30. As I said, that was since that period of time. 2,000 years from A.D. 30 would be 2030, the year 2030. But we know that we've got to take that, take that back a little bit too because you've got the seven years of tribulation to account for before the millennial, the thousand-year reign begins. So if we go backwards from 2030, that leaves us with 2023. Folks, it's very possible. There's still a lot of work to do. But it's possible that we are that close to the end. That captured. Israel became a nation in 1948. Jerusalem was recaptured by Israel in 1967. So the generation, Jesus said, the generation that saw both of those events would be the ones that saw his return. Folks, we're close to the end. Now, is it possible that there's information that we haven't added to these things that would nullify our numbers? Sure. We don't know if we've got all the criteria necessary to identify the day and the hour. And even Jesus said, we'll remind you, Jesus said no man would know the day or the hour. And the only way that that can be possible is for us not to know exactly when he's coming would be for these different uh, times and dates the uncertainty of when that is. We don't know exactly when Jesus was born. We know that Herod the Great ruled until 4 B.C. And it was at that time that the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to go back to Israel. He had been in Egypt for a period of time. But when Herod the Great died, in 4,000 B.C., in, uh, excuse me, 4 B.C., that's when Jesus was sent back to Israel by the direction of the angel. So, but the best estimate, the most scripturally inclusive estimate, what do we do with that? 
there's a part of me that's ready for Jesus to come back right I know when you talk about things like this, sometimes younger people particularly want to push back. And they might be their time on the earth to an old age. And to that, I, I certainly can understand it. But to that, I can only reply, the world is getting worse and worse so that the way things are going, men will wax worse and worse. Deception will take hold and take root in a much greater way than ever before. These are inevitable. But the other side of that, the positive side of that, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 10, please. Verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Zechariah is instructed by the Holy Ghost to tell us what God's will is for the church in these last. You may remember in James <coughs> chapter 5, It says the husband is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. It's talking about a moving of the Holy Ghost that brings multitudes, sweeps multitudes into the kingdom of God. Now folks, it would be like God. It would be consistent with his character and his nature. And certainly in keeping with his word. for there to be a, a tremendous revival and a population of the child, multitudes would, would escape the horrors of tribulation. In other words, God wants his family to be as large as it can be. Remember, it's not his will that matters because his will is for everybody to be saved plan of God that has been the plan of God since the, before the worlds were created to sweep in a multitude of unbelievers into the family of God and the way that that's going to take place is by a display of God's power to arrest people and cause them to see what otherwise they might not even Deign to, to acknowledge. But God is telling us in Zechariah chapter 10 that if we will ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, the Lord shall make bright in the Old Testament. And that's concerning Job. The margin of my Bible says that instead of bright clouds, it could be interpreted lightnings. Well, what are lightnings? A lightning strike might be typical of the power of God, the manifestation of God's power. Well, if we talk about the manifestation of God's power, we've got to be talking about the working of the Holy Ghost. Why did they translate it bright clouds? 
In Job, in Job, it's translated lightnings. So why did they translate it bright clouds? Well, you remember the cloud of glory that filled Solomon's temple when they dedicated the temple? You remember the cloud of glory that appeared in many cases in, Egypt, in Israel's wanderings in the desert, in the wilderness. And that cloud oftentimes separated Moses from those who would bring accusation against him. So the bright clouds is typical or is a type of the cloud of glory that we see manifesting itself in different places in different times in the Old Testament. A lightning, lightnings of God or a lightning strike is a demonstration of his power. So when it's saying, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, it says that God will manifest his power and reveal his, pleasant, his presence. And then notice the next thing it says is give us showers of rain. What are the showers of rain? Well, again, it's talking about a working of the Holy Ghost. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and told us how the Holy Ghost manifests himself. We know of them as spiritual gifts, but they're really manifestations of the Spirit of God. So these showers of rain would be outpourings of power gifts, the gift of faith or special faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healings. They would be displays or manifestations of revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And they would be manifestations of the vocal gifts, prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These are things that God, that the Holy Ghost, will carry about the will of God to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. As I live, he said, filled with the knowledge of his glory. Well, folks, if we're running, then we're coming up on a display of God's power like never has been so rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Why does the Bible instruct us to do this? Why does the Bible tell us what, as we join ourselves together in agreement and in obedience to what God said to do, we have every right seen before. We have a, a, a right to expect as children of God displays of God's power. We have a right to expect manifestations of his presence. We have a right to expect what God said would take place if we'll pray and ask for the rain. John Wesley said, it seems that God can do nothing except man ask him. Can do nothing on the earth except man ask him. He went on to say why that is, we don't know. Well, we do know. Man has authority on the earth. But as we join our 
faith together and use our authority to pray in line with what the word says, we have every right to expect signs and wonders and miracles by the Holy Ghost because God said that's what it would be. The things that are happening in the earth around us are so revealing to the end time things that the Bible identifies for us that we don't have the luxury of playing church anymore. We don't have the luxury of just going through the motions like the church has done for so many years up to this point. We have a responsibility to know and understand what is taking place around us and why it's taking place. God said in more than one place in the Old Testament to ask of him and he would give us the heathen for an, in its fullest measure because that's exactly what the Bible says God wants to do. I believe we're at a time where we need to quit looking at ourselves and look to the world where it's important for us and it's just a whisper. Jesus is coming soon. I've heard in just about every church I've ever been in for any period of time that Jesus is coming soon, but it's never been like it is now. For the welfare of the church, in spite of the things that are taking place around us, and certainly the political scene is going to be the one that the devil uses. You remember that's what he tempted Jesus with when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you these things because they've been delivered unto me. Well, and it certainly identifies that Satan has his hand on the political scene of the nations of the world. And America certainly is not exempt from that. And so we should rightly expect the political scene to deteriorate more and more and more. But what do we say to these things? The deepest premonition I have concerning these things is that the glory of God will be seen. I don't believe we should shy away from any of these things or fear any of these things. Even the persecution that Jesus said the church would experience in the last days. It kind of excites me to be able to think of standing up and boasting in the Lord. No matter who says what. No matter who tries to dictate to the church. What we can do or what we can't do. 
that's perfect ground for God to show himself strong. There are a lot of promises concerning the last days and the end times of God supplying all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So folks, no matter what the economy does, God's our source. No matter what plague or pestilence or sickness or disease comes up, Jesus is our healer. It's high time, more than high time in my thinking, that the church become established in what we know to be true from the word so that none of these things move us, so that nothing affects us and steals our joy. No matter what hard place we find ourselves in, as we count it all joy, we have every right to expect God to honor his word and to reveal himself in a big and mighty way. Folks, the time is short and the work is great. But the promises of God are sure, no matter what. You said for us to ask for the rain in the time of the latter rain. This is certainly the end times. It seems to us that we're coming to the end of the end times. So we ask you for the rain. We ask you for the moving of the Holy Ghost that sparks a great revival to sweep in multitudes, even millions of people into the family of God. Father, you said that if we would ask you for the rain, that you would make displays of your presence and manifestations of your power. so that the word of God can be preached as a witness unto all the earth. You said you'd give us showers of rain, Lord. Showers, not sprinklings, but showers of the power gifts of the Spirit. Showers of the revelation gifts of the Spirit. And showers of the vocal gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for revealing your word to us, teaching us the simple truth of faith in your word. So because we believe in our heart that your word is true, we say with our mouth that the last day revival is beginning and increasing. We say with our mouth because we believe in our heart. But even more than that, through us, that we might reach those that are hungry for more of you. Truly as you live, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of your glory is being made known. Make your glory known through us, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, teach us what we don't know. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Use us, Lord. Use us to reach others. We pray, Father, that as the unsaved come into our church, we pray that you would make known the secrets of their heart, that they might see and know, and that they would know that your power works in us. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Do according as you see fit. We say, Lord, be it unto us, even as you have spoken. Be it unto us, even as you have spoken. Now, Holy Spirit, we don't know how to pray for these things as we ought to know. We know what to pray for. But we don't know how to pray as we should. So we trust you to give us utterance in unknown tongues that we might pray the perfect will of the Father. Father, stir in us a hunger to pray. Stir in us a hunger to see your face. Stir in us a hunger to experience the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. These are days of glory. These are the days of God's fulfillment of his promises. Paul, in writing to Timothy, I'm sorry, not Timothy, but to Titus, in chapter 2 and verse 13, he said the rapture, the gathering together of the church unto him was the blessed hope of our salvation. Folks, there's nothing that you could possibly experience on the earth that's going to in any way compare to the joy unspeakable and full of glory that we'll have when Jesus comes back for us. And whatever things we think we may have missed out of here on the earth because he comes to get us, we won't even be able to remember what those things were. We'll be so consumed with the glory and the joy of God we won't even remember what things were like down here. God chose you to live in this time because he knew you could take it. He knew you could be strong. He knew you would be strong. 
Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to go out this week conscious of the fact, meditating on the fact that the greater one, the God of glory lives in you. And he's got a work for us to do. He's going to send us to people who need his help. He's going to send us to people that are hungry to know the truth. You're his special agent to carry the glory of God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for all that he's done. We love you, Father. We bless your holy name. Thank you for the power of your word. We're kept by the power of your word. And nothing can take us out of your hand. We bless you, Holy Father. God bless you.